Hello and welcome to the Alpha Class. I'm your host, Vuk Skadaka. Today we are joined by the lovely Anne-Marie Montgomery. Anne-Marie is one of the senior and head physiotherapists at the Australian Open and other Grand Slams around the world. She's worked with ATP players and WTA players as well, such as the Williams sisters. She's the co-founder of Physios for Athletes based here in Melbourne. And today we'll be talking about how players and coaches should be working together as one to work on their bodies and injury prevention. What other physiotherapists should be doing to develop themselves and much more. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to welcome on the show today the lovely Anne-Marie Montgomery. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm quite excited to be here today, Brooke. Excellent. Thank you very much for being here. Just tell the audience about your journey. My journey? Gosh, and it's been a long one. Um, I grew up, I was born in Ireland, in Dublin, and, and lived there until I was about 20, oh gosh, mid-20s, I think I moved to Australia. Right. And, yeah, grew up in grew up in Dublin and had always interested in sport. Really loved being around sport, but unfortunately, my coordination was never the best. So, um, despite my best efforts, I never really got involved in playing. Oh, played a little bit, but never at a high right. level um, around team sport. I I was a good runner. I yep. could run in a straight line. So, and um, I pursued that while I was in secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my interest in sport, I guess I always wanted to be involved. So from a very young age, I wanted to be a physio. And right. so I could be around the sporting community. It was always my goal. I remember being really being into football, or you guys probably call it soccer, and beer, and really being into football and going to all the international matches and saying to my friends I was going to be the physio for the um, Irish football team at one right. point. But... Um, I, yeah, um, did my undergrad in physiotherapy in University College Dublin. Excellent. And then I moved out shortly after that. I came out backpacking actually around Australia and fell in love with the country. So in 2002, I moved to Australia for good. Yeah. I was meant to be coming for five years and promised all my friends and family I'd be home after five years. And I woke up suddenly one day and I was like, oh my God, I've been here for 17 years. So, um, there you go, yeah, time flies. It's been a great time for me in Australia. I've had so many, many opportunities. It's been awesome. Yeah. When I moved here first in 2002, I, I became involved with tennis pretty soon after that. Now, growing up in Ireland, we loved watching tennis, but there was very little tennis in Ireland, unless you were of the higher classes, so to speak. Yep. Um, but we always watched it. Like, I remember as a kid, my grandmother and my mom, we'd sit in... We'd sit indoors in the, in the Irish summers for two weeks with the curtains closed so we could watch Wimbledon. So you had to close the curtains because the sunlight coming in yeah. would reflect off the TV and you wouldn't be able to see it properly. So we'd lock ourselves away for two weeks and just watch Wimbledon start to finish. And yeah, so I was delighted then when I came to Australia and was able to get involved in the Australian Open. Excellent. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. that. My, yeah, that was my first foray into professionally working with tennis. I was... Um, I started out working in the juniors, so right. doing, there was a lead-in tournament in those days in Notting Hill, um, and then qualifying rounds were played Notting Hill as well, and then the Australian Open, which was, which was great fun. So I did that for about three years, and then I took over as head physio in the seniors. Excellent. So, yeah, that was an amazing role, and some, you know, big challenges. Um, I worked with amazing, amazing teams over the years, lots of great physios, myotherapists, doctors, 
all of whom I'm still very um, much in contact with today. Um, yeah, they made it great, great days. It was a tough gig. It was a full-on gig, um, as you can imagine, right. long, long hours, long days, and, and under immense pressure. But it was just some, yeah, some of the most fun times of my life as well. And I feel very accomplished to have been involved with it for so long. Um, during those 10 years, I did a little bit... I did contract work with Tennis Australia as well. Yep. And eventually... Gosh, I can't remember the year. Um, I can't remember. Probably about 2009, I eventually became full-time with Tennis Australia. Yep. Um, and that's when I started traveling on the tour. So Excellent. 30 weeks of the year on the road, um, including the Australian summer of tennis. And I did that for about six years. And just, yeah, some, again, some of the best days of my life. It was really, really fascinating world to be around. Yep. Um, and then in 2015, I, at that stage, probably have had enough of the travel. I've been traveling, as I said, a lot for quite some time. So I decided to give it up and I've opened up my own private practice now. I've got two clinics. Excellent. I did a little bit of work with the Williams Sisters, which was, um, yeah, really, really awesome when I finished, first of all. But yeah. now I'm working more with them. Um, I still work with professional, Australian professional tennis players privately. I also work with a lot of adolescent tennis players, which is a real passion of mine. Yep. And also then with social tennis players. So I'm kind of seeing people cross the board now, which is really great. That's great. Excellent. We'll get more to the tour stuff later in more detail. Tell us about yeah. what motivates you well, now to get out of bed and go to work every day. What's what's the passion that drives you? Yeah. Um, actually, it's been really interesting with all this COVID stuff going on. Yep. In the early, like, in the early days, maybe, what's that, four weeks ago, I've kind of lost um, um, my awareness of time. And I dropped from, you know, working full, full days and mm-hmm. um, four days a week to just back to two days and some weeks I've only been going in one day face to face and I really just realised I always known I've loved my job but I just realised how much I missed like what a, what an empty space it has left um, yeah. in my life for now and of not being able to go into work so what motivates me I just with my from the tennis side of things I guess it's keeping the players I'm working with as, as fit and healthy as they can be Yep. and trying to do what we can to prevent injuries from occurring in the first place so really getting to know my players their bodies and, and their, their loading abilities um, and creating programs for them exercise programs and working with their coaches yep. in order to try and minimise the chance of injury and that's a big motivator for me also, uh, it's amazing that the effects that I find physio can have on, on a player and being able to keep them on court and keep them training, right. even when they do have a niggle or an injury. Like most players will have niggles all yeah. the time they're playing. Yeah. And, and quite often players are playing with injury. So mm. for me, and especially when I was on the road, it was, a, it was, it was just not a stressful part of it. It was certainly a stressor, but, you know... Um, Getting the players' trust and um, belief in, in me and in their team. Yeah, getting that belief in order to work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. And um, what do you do to constantly self develop yourself and how do you balance work and life? Well, let's say before um, this time that we're just going through, before that, what would you do to balance all that? Is there a balance when you're in this type of high performing industry or not? Look, I'd love to say that there is. 
a good you can have a good you can have a balance I always found it quite hard to be honest with you and yeah. um, if I go back to kind of touring days you're on the road yeah um, physios are a little bit unique when we're on the road because we tend to work with the athletes like we're there for everything we're there for their on court sessions we're there for the gym sessions and we're around all the time and the rest of the team isn't necessarily around when the player is getting physio mm. so our days tend to start quite early and finish quite late so right. we have the players come off come off course and some of the tournaments do night matches so it could be two or three in the morning I remember you know yeah. having to kind of you know get myself going to work on players at three in the morning that happened quite often you know and then you're back up again the next day and right. maybe sometimes as early as 8.30 maybe sometimes a bit later mm. so you just I found that I just had to you know, for exercise and that just where I could if I had a spare half an hour 40 minutes just hop up to the gym and hop in the treadmill or you know just run around the grounds wherever we were so I tried to do that as much as possible and yeah and um, now that I'm at home it's easier to have a better work-life balance and that's certainly yeah. been my goal since I left gosh five years ago nearly five years ago now and right. I'm getting a little bit better at it yeah I like to do meditation Excellent. I need to do meditation yep. um, meditation and exercise are the two things the things that really keep me going right it's a it's an interesting job it's a very physical job it's a very mental job so you know you're constantly thinking and you know questioning yourself are you doing enough what else can you do to yep. to um, um, keep the athlete on court keep the, the athlete training um, but it also can be quite an emotional job as well of where course. you know you do tend to take a lot on board like yeah. people and players do combine a lot it's an interesting place the physio table mm. so for all of that, in order for me to be the best I can be for my player or athlete, I, yeah, I need to get out and do some meditation and Excellent. That's good. And what's the most common injury you've noticed in tennis while being in the industry, and why? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think, um, like you can categorise different injuries for so many different ways. So right. if you're looking at adolescents, yep. they're going to have different injuries to the professional tennis players, and likewise, likewise with social tennis players, they all have different types of injuries. You can also look at. Um, different court surfaces I think is is, is another um, factor yep. and then overuse and load management now I would say off the top of my head I reckon shoulders more than likely for mm. obvious reasons are a, yeah. are a big injury within um, tennis interestingly playing on the clay like over French Open and the European swing where we're on clay obviously the court doesn't when if it rains a little the court doesn't they don't stop straight away because um, the court can absorb some of the course, yeah. wet but the balls tend to get really heavy then and that, or if it's really windy outside mm. um, it can affect um, the direction of the balls and how they bounce so quite often that can lead to shoulder injuries mm-hmm. that when we were um, on the grass swing players tended because the ball is bouncing a little bit lower players tend to get um, more injuries or tightness maybe through lumbar area and through right. the quads. Um, 
at the beginning of the season, coming into the Australian summer onto hard courts. So, you know, players had a bit of you know, downtime, but they've been training, they've been doing the pre-season and then coming in and playing tournaments again is a big increase yeah. in load. And that combined with the hard courts, we used to think, um, was a predictor for anybody who had um, tendon injuries for them to kind right. of rise up again from the ball. And what, what age do you think athletes should, should start developing on their body? So is there a certain age now that obviously the game's changed to more the physical side of it compared to what it was, let's say, two decades ago? Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference, isn't it? And the difference, I think, with, with the younger athletes now is when we were young, we, we tried our hand in all sports. So you'd, you know, play your tennis, but you might also be playing football, you might also be doing, you know, playing basketball or mm-hmm. running or whatever, whatever um, other sports were available. But I think kids nowadays tend to focus on a sport from a very young age. I love the idea of still doing what I call cross training, so playing other sports. And yep. I'd really love to see the younger ones still doing that. Mm-hmm. However, I totally understand the other side of things where coaches want them hitting balls and hitting balls and hitting balls, and then that's how you, you know, and that's how you're going to progress through and hopefully eventually become a professional player if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, because they focus at such a young age, I do think that learning how to manage their bodies and learning how to manage their load is really, really important with the younger ones. Right. Adolescent health is really interesting, especially when um, these kids are playing maybe 12 to, 12 to maybe 15 hours a week, at, you know, the ages of 12 and upwards. Right. So learning a little bit about body management and how to release, self-release the muscles themselves and how to stretch and how to monitor their load when they're starting to grow. These are all really, really important things that need to be looked after either by their coaching staff or if if they're lucky enough to have a physio or a massage therapist that they go to regularly. And also parents, yeah. Mm. So what's an advice for, let's say, parents and coaches that have young athletes, let's say from 12 onwards, aspiring to be a professional player? Uh, how, how do they go about understanding their body, how their child's body grows and f- pointing out potential injuries in the future? Because I know myself as a player and I've got a lot of players now that we obviously work together with, as well as our S&C coach, that we've obviously pointed out some injuries and touch wood they've been good so far because we've got on top of it early. What do you suggest yeah. to other people out there listening? Yeah, look, I'm lucky enough to work with um, academies like yours, right. where you're very, very... Um, you're across all aspects of the athlete's um, development and you also have strength and conditioning as part of your program which is great and then also having physiotherapy involved it's great if if somebody's really serious about playing tennis that parents get their child into such an academy um, and really become involved but I recommend musculoskeletal screenings um, at a young age so we can get a good baseline measurement yep and check out areas that we know are common in potential injury areas in adolescence. So mm. first of all, getting um, a bit of a baseline of where that player is. Yep. Um, and look, that just needs to be maybe done once a year and then just if you find any kind of anomalies, just to check in on those areas. Mm-hmm. It can also help to 
form a prehab or rehab or whatever you want to call it, an yeah. injury prevention program for yeah. that player. Um, for parents, I would advise them to measure growth regularly. So overload right. and growth are two of the biggest factors to predict injury now. Right. Yep. So as we're growing, now everybody's different. Some kids will shoot up and they'll just grow on a massive growth spurt. Mm. So their long bones are growing really, really quickly. Their soft tissue, all the muscles and tendons and ligaments are they catch up more slowly. So yeah. their bodies change and their the, the kids' ability of understanding their spatial awareness, that's all changed. The body's, you know, core stability and scapular stability, that all changes numerous times. Mm. And you'll probably notice the kids, I'm sure you've noticed some of your players who are really on track, hitting the ball really well, have a growth spurt, and then they lose it all. They don't know yeah, where they are on the court. They yeah, think there's so something happens to them. It's a frustrating them. time, yeah. I think, for kids. They're all growing at different rates. Yep. Um, so really means that the playing field is a bit all over the place for a while. So definitely measure growth regularly. And, and based on that, if it's a big jump, I'd say talk to your coach and, and manage the load. You might need to pull back a session or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you might need to, instead of playing three tournaments in a row or Easter holidays, you might need to pull back, play one tournament, have a couple of days break, and then play another tournament. All right. And so, yeah, they're my main recommendations. Excellent. And I've noticed a lot as well. Yes, there are more tournaments, let's say in Melbourne, so for JTs and AMT tournaments. What's your take on playing a lot of tournaments week in, week out? So let's say a lot. I know a lot of kids um, smash out three, four tournaments in a row over school holidays. What's your take on that? I know for me, I don't prefer doing that because from my end, yeah. I think it's obviously a bit too much for them from more than just yeah. the physical aspect of it but what's your take on that look I can see I see the two sides I see the side where you know they don't play tournaments during school term because yeah. the kids are at school and that's so they want to pack in as much as they can yeah um, over a weekend or over school holidays but yeah I, I'm with you in that I, I don't agree with how some of these tournaments have to be run yep um so I've, the amount of times I've heard where kids are playing, say, scheduled to play two singles matches and a doubles match three days in a row or two days in a row and then a final at the right. end. Um, I know not every kid gets through to the final, so yep. um, it's a bit of a balance. But I guess in Melbourne, when we look at the weather, <laughs> or especially across, across like autumn and winter and that, right. quite often I hear cases where they've been ranked out for a day. So yeah. it's not unusual to hear a case for kids who play three or four matches in one day mm. and then backing it up the next day. And that's when I see them afterwards when they've, you know, played that amount and, yep. and um, yeah, end up with an overuse injury. The consolation rounds, I think sometimes the kids could be better maybe at, at withdrawing from those now I, I kind of do hate to say that because I understand the concept around the consolation rounds is to give them an opportunity more matches to play and, yeah. more matches and to yeah. get more match play and I totally understand the importance of that however with my physio hat on yeah. I think for the safety of the kids I'd rather yeah I'd rather they space those tournaments out a bit more or maybe even have them playing over a four or five day period rather than a three day period where possible right. you know for for the long weekend ones, yeah, you've got your three days, but why not play it over two weekends? Especially if it's somewhere kind of, you know, centrally in Melbourne where it's yeah. easy to access. All right. And obviously being on tour and you've 
been through multiple Grand Slams and I've got some players that are constantly traveling the world as well. How important is it to have that healthy body? So you want to obviously prioritize their body and their well-being from a young age to let's say they peak at 25 years of age on tour. Is is there any difference you'd prepare them, let's say on tour while you're traveling for them compared to when they'll be based at home? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I... Because you look at all the players on out tour, there. On tour, I yeah. think the demands on their body is a lot different. Right. So when you're at home, you know, you're, you're still, you're training the house down, you're training hard, you've got your gym, and obviously recovery is really important. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you're maintaining your body and your physio or your massage is very important. When yeah. you're on tour, um, quite often you're traveling around a lot as well. So the toll, that, especially if you're traveling internationally, the toll that that takes on your body. Yeah. So the preparation once overseas does have to be a little bit different mm-hmm. um, I think you know initially getting off a plane when you've just travelled maybe for 24 hours as often as the case coming from Australia um, you know just easing into it again and having a light hit to get everything moving again mm-hmm. I I was always busy straight off the plane and yep. players getting stiff after sitting for so long right a lot of it as well depends on you know the level that you're playing at also so I think from a young age I know traveling and doing the futures tour with some of the the boys when they were younger like your Luke Savills and, and Alex Bolt and all of those boys mm. they, maybe when they were 16 I kind of started traveling around Spain with them and yeah, you're just trying. You're still trying to educate at that at that stage. I found so teaching them their body management, yep. making sure that they're doing their recovery. So it's very much an educational and right. um, side of things. Like from a physio perspective, obviously doing treatments as well. But then I find the older ones, as they're you know they've been on the tour longer, maybe older bodies. I think they tended to need a, a lot more hands-on management. Right. You know, they know they know the drill. They yep. know to come off the course and do their stretching to get the you know get the nutrition, get some protein in straight away. So you know, they have they have a damn pad at that point. And yeah. Have them processes in yep. place, I guess. So I guess with those older guys, it'd be more about the hands-on and maintaining their bodies and just just understanding their bodies and knowing their bodies as well. Yep. So you can kind of feel if there's any tension there. Hopefully, I believe. Um, being on tour with the guys so much and um, that we definitely would have prevented injury just from doing regular um, work through the body and when obviously players let's look at the top three Djokovic Federer and Nadal they've had let's say not big injuries but not minor injuries either and we've seen them come back over time what's your advice for players when they get injury setback how important is it for them to recover and obviously uh, work on their mindset during that time yeah look look, I spoke a lot earlier on about you know keeping the players healthy keeping them on court that's if there's you know minor injuries and if they have their niggles yeah you can do that but if, but if it's detrimental to their health to right. continue playing and they actually have to stop playing like out of the three you mentioned that Dallas probably the, the one who's had to have most time away from court yeah well, various things including his needs um and when um, a lot of the work I do, especially at the moment and in the past with the National Academy, have been you know younger kids who are developing and they develop lumbar stress fractures. Right. So the mindset when you're young, it's really really difficult um, to learn how to be off court. All those kids want to do is get on court and just hit some balls. Yeah. They don't want to do the stretching. 
like they don't mind the gym, but they don't want to do the stretching and the recovery. Yeah. So I say to them from a very early stage in, in those type of injuries where you're going to be away from the court, first of all, to get involved with the sports psychologist, mm-hmm. make sure that they have other people around to talk to because they will get frustrated. Yep. Um, so mental health in those situations is extremely important. Um, I encourage them to try and find another little hobby or something else to do if they're going to be away from the courts for a long time. Yep. But then also making sure that they're doing everything physically that they can possibly do. So no injury really um, requires you to be away from the gym 100%. Like gone are the days where you have a back injury, you're going to rest for six weeks. Yeah. So you work around the injury yeah. to ensure that the athlete stays as healthy and as strong and as fit as they possibly can be. Yep. Um, and then bit by bit, just slowly introducing a little bit more that they can do. So when, when the injury has healed and it's time to get back on court, they're prepared in every way. So I look at the, you know, okay, I'll give my, I'll do my physio, my hands-on stuff. I look yep. at their rehab program. I will liaise with the strength and conditioning coaches saying, okay, well, you can do bike or you can do upper body stuff um, and keep progressing and adding little bits and pieces in in preparation for them getting back on court. And then obviously speaking with the coach. So if you can stand on court and be stationary in the corner and still hit balls, well, that's better than not hitting the ball for the next two weeks. Yep. So um, I think in those yeah circumstances, having a good team around you is key. And making sure that your team is talking to each other is key and and definitely looking after mental health when it comes to those big injuries and the life yep. support is really, really crucial. Right. And how's the sports science changed in the last, let's say, decade to two decades? And what do you think the future is looking like in the industry? Right, yeah. Ooh, this is we could we could stay here all day just talking yeah. about this. <laughs> Let's try and keep it as <laughs> it's so much when you're thinking about sports science right. and the different aspects of sports science. Um, look, it's ever evolving. Um, there's research being carried out all the time. In Australia, research carried out from a sports medicine point of view, and in particular, is like outstanding. It's world class, and we're really highly recognised around the world for our advancements that we've made in the last, definitely in the last twenty years. Yep. Um, look, all these. <laughs> I'm very much a hands-on clinical physiotherapist and, yep. and thankfully there's lots of people around who are, are clinical but also research orientated mm-hmm. and it certainly does shape for me every day the, the, the type of work and the things that I do with my with my athletes and with my clients. Um, there's been huge improvements in you know, different types of injections, PRP injections for tendon injuries. Mm-hmm. Tendon research has been phenomenal and, and really changed the way that we treat. And mm-hmm. um, I could go on and on and on forever. And in regard to other aspects of sports science, like the game of tennis has evolved so much. I think a lot of that has been to maybe changes in the approach to strength and conditioning as well over the years. Yep. Um, players are faster, stronger, and yeah, more flexible. The women's sport, I think, in the last, even more recently, has changed quite a lot. The, you know, no longer, I think girls are more tactically aware, they're playing smarter, they're definitely stronger. So it's right. much more exciting to watch, if I'm allowed to say that. But <laughs> I've been really blown away by the women's tennis in the last couple of years, yep. especially. Yep. 
Um, equipment, I think, has been a big part of that change. And I wonder, I always think, like, when are we going to get to the point that it's going to plateau off? You know, there's so much that I think the equipment has, has been a key role as well in the change of the game. Um, and I always like to think back to swimming. Gosh, I'm not sure how long ago was it now that they had those amazing suits, water suits, and everybody's yeah. been breaking these world records. And then kind of they had to take all of that away because you know it wasn't sustainable. So you know they're not wearing those suits anymore, and the times have gone backwards. So where where will we level off with um, what the human body was capable of? Yep. Um, and. Yeah, and the equipment we use. I think it has to plateau off at some stage, but yeah, who knows? And what's your advice for young physios or young entrepreneurial physios out there wanting to get in the professional industry in this day and age? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a tough world to crack. Um, I would say to them to be certain that that's what they really want to do. In Australia, anyway, at the moment, there are more physios qualifying each year than there are jobs. Right. So it's a really, really saturated market. Yeah. Um, to get to the top, like in elite sport, you really, you know, having a, a sports master's in physiotherapy is yep. probably the lowest qualification you want to get. But my advice would be, do your undergrad as a physio, go out and work. Um, go out and work in the hospitals, get a good general um, feel for physio, like cardiology, respiratory, because that yeah. stuff does come back every now and then, mm. um, even if you're working in sports, that knowledge that you need, that baseline knowledge. Right. It's great to get out in the world and experience being a physio and then go back and do your sports masters when you actually have some experience in the field rather than just going straight yeah. from your undergrad to your sports masters. Right. Then, you know, my advice then is to, just to get out and, and, and become involved in sport wherever you can. So just put yourself out there. Don't think that you're going to jump straight into elite sports. I stood mm. on the sidelines of, of a rugby union club here in Melbourne when I moved here first and, yeah. you know worked every Tuesday and Thursday night for nothing and I think I got a hundred bucks for like about seven hours on a Saturday all yeah. through the winter like and it was great an amazing club some of the best best fun I've ever had but you know you have to put in the hard yards yeah yeah and um, it's not going to just come to you and it's a, look, as in everything else in life it's also about who you know so get to know your sports positions that you work with get to know other physios don't be afraid to ask questions mm-hmm. and just you know yeah, really get yourself out there let's build the networking around you absolutely yeah yeah excellent and i know you've obviously you've got your own uh clinics in melbourne as well in st kilda um and in burundara uh, you also run a mentor program tell us a bit about how can people get in touch with you if they want a, a session with you just to check up on their body or some mentoring how can they get in contact with you yeah, sure. Um, well, I have a, oh gosh, I, I work at a clinic called Physio for Athletes. Um, Physio for Athletes is on St. Kilda Road right. and in, as you said, Burundara Tennis Centre in North Baldwin. So our website is physio4athletes.com. So you can hop online there. I also have a page, a Facebook page that I'm trying to get up and running. Yep. Social media is not my forte today. Um, but it's called Melbourne Tennis Physio. So I can be contacted through both of those and also I'm on LinkedIn. 
Right. So excellent. Yeah. Beautiful. And for obviously so, some players internationally listening, they can also get in contact with you via Zoom and or Skype or Viber as well if they want to have a more online session with you as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing a lot of work on Zoom actually over the last few weeks, which yep. have been actually really, really positive results from it. So I think the best bet I'm is probably to drop me an email at Anne-Marie at physioforathletes.com. Excellent. Or else hop online to the website and, and you can send me a message through there too. Phone numbers and all that are available online too. Excellent. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks a million, Book. Thank you. Awesome. And there you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Alpha Class. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us. If you want to keep up with our movements, please head to our Instagram and Facebook page at Australian Alpha Tennis Academy. I'm your host, Books Kadaka, and I'll see you again next week.